This is Smart Politics. I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. In the first episode of this series, I took a high-level view of democracy. What makes it so good? What are the areas where it might struggle? But in this second episode, I'm going to take a look at one particular democracy, that of ancient Athens. While it's not actually the first democracy, it's certainly the most influential of the early ones. Its legacy, its successes and failures, and the ideals it represented would go on to outlast it by millennia. When our own founders were going about the work of designing a government, the democracy of Athens was one of the places they looked to, not just for inspiration, but also as a cautionary tale. There are lessons to be learned from Athens, some of which still have incredible relevance. So as I often do on this show, I'm going to look towards the past to help us make sense of where we are right now. Let's begin. The single most significant difference between Athenian democracy and the democracies of today is that it was a direct democracy. In most modern democracies, we have representative democracy. The people elect officials who then make choices on our behalf. But in ancient Athens, the people, or at least a minority of them, made decisions directly. There were three primary branches of Athenian government. And while each of those branches had their own structure and requirements, they all operated by direct democracy. People voted, and the majority decision won. As you might imagine, this resulted in a radically different experience. Athenian democracy was vibrant, energetic, chaotic, unruly. A system where all decisions, even on legal matters, are made by a group that could number in the thousands, is one where people have tremendous incentive to be active participants and to be very well-informed. Compare this to the system we have today. Our democracy is more of a a passive one. Voters aren't necessarily expected or incentivized to be particularly knowledgeable on any given issue. Instead, we're asked to trust that the person we're electing has done the work for us. We don't vote on issues. We vote for other people who are supposed to know about the issues in our place. Now, there are clear benefits to this setup. One of the most common complaints you'll hear about the state of politics in our country today is that people don't seem to be engaged. We vote and we choose, but most of us don't seem to be dialed into what's happening. The Athenian model fixes this, but there were also problems with this model. To understand the weaknesses with this setup, I'm going to take a deep dive look one of those three branches I mentioned earlier, the Athenian court system. So the court system we have today is one of formality, professionalism. Cases are brought by credentialed and well-educated lawyers. And each side of the aisle, in theory at least, is represented by someone with deep understanding of the intricacies and details of how the law works. Jurors are chosen by an organized process, one that is meant to ensure, hopefully, 
a fair trial. The entire thing is overseen by a judge wearing a fine black robe. And even after the initial trial, there might be appeal after appeal. All of this is done for one reason. By creating a system that has a number of set rules and a fairly rigid structure, the hope is that we end up with something approaching actual justice. Obviously, that's not always the outcome. But that's certainly the theory behind the setup we have. Athenian courts weren't anything like ours. There were no lawyers involved. Cases were brought by regular citizens, and the litigants argued their own cases directly. And while the idea of not having a legal system may not sound too unappealing, especially considering the reputation that most lawyers have today, the downside of this is also obvious. I host a podcast. Shocking news, you're you're listening to my podcast right now. As a general rule, I enjoy speaking, have some basic ability to craft an argument, and tend to be fairly comfortable trying to make points in a public setting. But other people will look at everything I just said and find the thought of doing any of those things absolutely mortifying. Some people are very comfortable talking in front of others, and some aren't. A legal system where people are their own litigants and one that rewards off-the-cuff speaking, as the Athenian one did, is going to pretty clearly favor people who are more like me. Regardless of whether my case had more merit, I would start the proceedings with a marked advantage over someone who thinks about speaking in front of an assembly of hundreds, if not thousands, for up to three hours as something resembling a death sentence. And yes, I did say hundreds, if not thousands. Instead of the small, intimate juries that we have today, ancient Athens had juries that started at 200 and can number in the thousands for exceptional cases. There were also no jury deliberations like we have today. Instead, jurors would hear the arguments being made occasionally expressing their approval or disapproval on the spot. And when the arguments concluded, they would immediately vote. The entire thing had a a rowdiness that makes it really difficult to imagine, but here's a way to think about it. Athenian courts function more like family justice as opposed to a formal legal system. Justice tended to be carried out on a more personal level. Punishments weren't strict, and there were no set punishments for most crimes. Instead, things like context and preferences of the litigants really were considered. The upside of this is that the odds of being dramatically overpunished, which is one of the defining problems of the system we have here, was less likely to happen. But a system of highly individualized justice is also going to be prone to even more manipulation than what we have today. Wealth matters in our legal system. Money buys better attorneys. It can buy better press coverage, and it can influence the justice system in a number of ways. But however much undue influence it can have, we do try to set up guardrails. The jury selection process 
the providing of lawyers to people and set rules to try and limit it. Athenian courts lacked guardrails. Trials could be, and sometimes were, popularity contests. And that setup is definitely going to favor the well-off much more than what we currently have. And after decisions were made, there wasn't anything like the appeals process. The decision of the jury was final. Again, there are benefits and downsides, pros and cons. The biggest benefit is that you don't end up with what we sometimes run into today, which is court cases that can drag on for many years due to extensive appeals. This tends to be costly, and it can needlessly cause our court system to clog up. The complexity that we've built in has produced a court system that's very inefficient. People can sit for months and sometimes years waiting for their day in court only to deal with the trial process that can take weeks on its own and then ending with appeals that can take years to work their way through the many different levels of the courts. Athenian courts, they were extremely efficient. There were no police, trials couldn't last more than one day, and any decision made was final. But the trade-off for that Efficiency is that getting it wrong was much more devastating. If you lost the case because the person arguing against you was simply a better speaker or because their wealth allowed them to directly buy votes or because the jurors simply didn't like you, then that was it. And their courts were empowered to banish people from the city altogether or issue death sentences in some cases. There's one historical story that perfectly illustrates how this system functioned with all of its highs and lows. The Peloponnesian War was the famous, if you're a nerd, the famous war between Athens and Sparta. And while Sparta, with an assist from Persia, would eventually win the war, there was one moment right near the end where Athens momentarily scored what they thought might be a decisive victory. The Spartan naval fleet had managed to trap the Athenian navy. To break through the blockade, Athenian generals assembled a hastily tossed together fleet, along with some fresh recruits, to shatter the Spartan blockade. And shatter it they did, scoring a major victory for their side. But their moment of triumph was short-lived. On the way back home, the fleet sailed into a powerful storm, and many of these fresh recruits were tossed into the sea. Rescue efforts were mounted, but to no avail. The public blamed the generals and put them on trial. They were found guilty, and six of them were sentenced to death. These were the same generals who had just successfully saved the Athenian fleet from what was certain destruction. But that wasn't the end of it. After the death sentences, the people started to regret what they had done. So they turned on the speakers who had prosecuted the generals and blamed them for what had happened. See, that was one of the other features of the Athenian court. The jurors were above being blamed. They were the highest power. So if they did make a mistake, then it was because they had been misled. So they blamed the public speakers, running them out of the city. 
Later in his life, one of them would try to return, but reportedly died of starvation because nobody in the city would sell him food. And that pretty much sums up the good and bad of Athenian democracy. The people were granted immense power, far more than what we have today. But was that power always used responsibly? Not necessarily. It could be arbitrary. And at times, it resembled what we might think of as mob justice. It was exhilarating and terrifying. It was wildly different from what we have today. So much so that it can initially be difficult to draw comparisons between what they had and what we have today. But the reason I dedicated an entire episode to it is because of what we're talking about next. Athenian democracy, with all of its pros and cons, had an enormous influence on the political theory of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And from those three, you can start to trace a path that takes you right to the doorstep of our own founding fathers. And with that, I'd like to bring on my friend and guest, Francine Dash. Francine, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Anthony. As always, I appreciate being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, like I, said, I always like having you here, and I am very excited to get into this episode, to get into any, any questions, because, you know, you, you're here to, to challenge where I may be wrong, or to at least have <laughs> me give some detail, but you're also here, I think, to hopefully make this, like, more digestible for, 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 for people. <laughs> we should, like, put a tag at the beginning of the episode, <laughs> like, if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, you could just, like, skip Let's to, like, skip minute in. 15. And then uh, you'll, you'll, you'll help make it sound less like history professor lecturing people. Well, you actually done a great job of breaking down this section. I mean, this is like really difficult material, right? Like you're going yeah. into it and you're talking about, you know, one form of democracy that existed, the direct versus a representative. And you hint a little bit at mob rule, right? When you give us the story towards the end and some of our fears of having a direct democracy versus a representative democracy. Yeah. Um, but it, it's really fascinating to see how democracy itself evolved as people learn how to govern better right. or, or, or learn how to live in a community with each other better, because, you know, we all feel like we need to have some sort of order yep. and democracy is supposed to offer that. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. So? Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the, the stuff you mentioned about evolving, right? You know, we obviously, as the series moves forward, you know, I know on the last episode, I, I, I kind of jumped over this episode accidentally. Mm -hmm. But, you know, moving forward, like, we are going to get into the philosophy. We are going to get into, like, some of that stuff. And with you mentioning evolving, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, they were not, the American founding was making choices. And we are free to, like, disagree with their choices. Like, we're mm -hmm. free to say, I don't know, man. Like, I think James Madison was, was just wrong. I, you know? <laughs> right. I think, I think Thomas Jefferson was just mm -hmm. being dumb. You're free to, like, call Thomas Jefferson dumb and just say you think he was wrong about everything. Like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But they weren't, like, pulling it out of thin air. They were making mm -hmm. deliberate choices 
And when you look at what they had read and, and, and what they had tried to learn from, they, they did make choices that were supposed to prevent some of what we just talked about in this last episode, right? Well, this is a definitely a deliberate democracy. I, yeah. I definitely see the planning and and we can't deny that in our history, but even with that deliberate or intentionality, uh, if you yes. know, there, there, there's this, we are now seeing some cracks um, yep. that we didn't perhaps foresee. And we, we give yes. almost like a godlike status to people like Madison and Jefferson. Yes. You know, until you read their life stories and then that's yep. something else. Uh, but <laughs> quite um, something else. Quite something else. But um, but in reality, they were responding to the pains of their times. Right, right. And you know, you mentioned uh intentionality and people who've listened. To me, who who know me in personal, you know, who just know me, they 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 sort of know. I don't have any crazy reverence for the founders, right? I'm not one of those people, but I think long and hard about that concept of intentionality when it comes to the way our government was structured, because it's really easy down the road. This is true with any system mm-hmm. to say, mm-hmm. ah it has this problem, it has that problem. And if we just pulled this little thread, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. could fix like this problem, right? right? Right. And you don't, you go, you know, they, they, they wound it up this way for a reason. And there's always a possibility that when you pull the thread, the whole thing unravels. Right. And you do have to acknowledge, like they constructed it in a very intentional way mm-hmm. to function a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we think that system sucks, that's fine. Whatever we want to replace it with has to be constructed with similar levels of intentionality. And I agree. See, that's the part <laughs> I think is missing. I think, you know what? I, I don't think they gave us the perfect democracy like I said they were, or like no. history says or shows. They are definitely men of their time. But I think they gave us something to work with. And then certainly right. some of the ideals, uh, I think where people get caught up is some of the hypocrisy, of course. Yep. But, uh, living in the times that we live in, it's much easier to see and yes. much easier to get behind. It's difficult to yes. be on the right side of history when it's in the making. But- exactly. <laughs> Which I love that. I, I, I don't want to interrupt you, right? But I do love that you said that because this plays back to something I mentioned in the last episode, which is mm-hmm. like for thousands of years, there's like was not democracy. Mm-hmm. Like, like they were... They had learned from Athens and they had learned from their philosophical readings, John Locke and Adam Smith and Rousseau and all these names that people have heard maybe. But like they, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, no one has tried such a large scale democracy republic before. And I, we're in on the ground floor. So, hey, if we if we screw it up, mm-hmm. it's mostly because we quite literally like didn't exactly know what we were doing. Right. Right. It's hard when you're like the first ones to do a thing to like you don't get it right on the first try. Like that is not any anyone. It's right. It's totally amazing that <laughs> yeah, we've gotten this. Far. Yeah, that we've gotten this far. <laughs> anyone who's ever like brought a new like purchased a new electronic device, right? Like Apple has been making iPhones. I don't know. They're like on iPhone 15 or something. Like, oh, I don't truly, know. they're still trying to get it right. <laughs> they're still trying to get it right. The first ones come off. They make the iPhone 15 and it's wrong. You're like. How? You've made 14 versions of this. Right, How right. are you still messing it up? Like, well, it's just, <laughs> it's hard to make a thing, man. Like, I don't, right. 
Right. And, and, you know, that's a perfect example because as you, is, is in their cases, technology changes, they feel the need to upgrade so that they can right. give people access to the latest. But as our situations have changed in our society, even in, in recent uh, times with dealing with some of the issues we've dealt with since COVID and, and beyond, there's just been a shift or, or an awakening, if you will, about certain issues, you know, it, it, it leads me into my memory when I, when I remember reading people like Franklin, Benjamin Franklin saying, you know, the expectation was that this was a starting point and that we were expected to yeah. continue to evolve. Our constitution is what he was specifically referring to, yep. but evolve or, or, or remake the constitution to fit the needs that we had at that time. Yes. And, and we, but we made it such a gospel Right, um, an untouchable thing. It's difficult right. to imagine what right. that would be like, or how, what that process would look like. And you know, that's on us, right? We Clearly. we put some of this, a lot of this, we put at the feet of the the founders, and look, they had all sorts of problems. I know about their problems. You probably know about their problems more than most, mm-hmm. because like I've read the letters they wrote to each other, and they were super petty, like so. Like, just petty kings. Like, Thomas Jefferson was, like, a petty... He, he was, was a gossip. petty, he petty was like man. Your, like, yes, the, the gossipy church like, I, I've told you, like, John Adams read The Republic, which is something we're going to cover in the next episode, right? We go to Plato Science. He had read The Republic, and he was like, I... He's like, yeah, he was really pro... He's like, he was pro-democracy, that, that Socrates, right? And then, that, like, he was writing... I think he was writing Madison. And then Madison was Madison was like the nerd of the bunch. That's like that's why he's the primary framer because he was like mm-hmm. really nerdy and read a whole bunch. And I think he basically told Adams like you are you are wrong about the Republic, John. <laughs> and Adams was basically like I've been telling my whole life I've been telling people that Socrates was pro democracy, and I basically look like an idiot. <laughs> These were like, like <laughs> he had been running around for decades praising right. Socrates because. Because John Adams just read like the, the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, just not the Socrates, I understand. <laughs> right. Like, oh, I see. You haven't actually read it, have you, John? You've only you've only heard what other people told you about the Republic. Right, you should go happens. read it. Right. So these Hand were down, petty. So. Right. These were petty, petty, petty kings and petty men like everybody else. They were gossips mm-hmm. and they were petty. They were and they humans. could be yeah. crass and they could be Very. funny. Very but they crass. weren't gods. Right. We put their faces on a giant mountain. And I have said to you before, I think Mount Rushmore is one of the strangest things on, on anywhere on planet Earth. Like, right. it is this strange, literal, we like carved people's faces. It's like an altar. On an actual, it's, a, it's like literally a giant altar. Like the world's right. largest altar. Like, it is this weird thing. where like, we should carve George Washington and Thomas Jefferson's face on an actual mountain. Right. Which is much weirder than like building a statue. Mm-hmm. Like building statues to men are weird. Carving mm-hmm. their faces on mountains is way weirder. Yeah, like, that's that's a, <laughs> you it's can't a, it's like a tear lot. down the mountain. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so like we deified them, and they told yeah. us not to. But think about think about what that means if you de- if you you deify people or a group of people or a concept. It, it it releases you from responsibility. Correct. And I, I think that somehow somewhere in our 
in our human history in this in the development of this country we're so young right we yep. we've done that so well to kind of shut down efforts to yep. look at evolving it especially when we talk about things about social justice or equal rights or things that particularly the the constitution or the democracy itself that we have yep. did not legally cover or expressly cover and we have these uh, asterisks, if I said that word right, in our, our amendments <laughs> to our constitution to try to make it right. But the reality exactly. is that it, it, it creates this interpretive uh, stew where p- one interpretation depends on whose interpretation right. wins. Right, right. <laughs> no, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, we removed the obligation for the thing to change because we said it was perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and clearly again, it's not. Right. Clearly it's not. And they didn't think it was. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, they had they they had warned us about like, we are not, they, they did not think of themselves as perfect. There's nothing in their writings and in the so, way they behave. Even from like, George Washington on down, just a yeah. whole shunning of that whole concept yeah. of trying to deify or try to make a king out of right. our president. Right. We, right. You're right. We've done that. So how do we get away from that. Is there anything that we're going to learn in the series as you move forward that helps us to understand more of why we've done that and perhaps how we can move away from that toward? There's not, look, there's not, some of this is just like fixing human nature Mm. and which is not, there is no sure guide on how to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have said the best cure for it mm-hmm. is in some sense, like tearing down like the metaphorical statue, like updating how you conceive of the founders, updating, like, like recognizing that, yeah, they were just like petty men right, right, who like had all sorts of regular human problems. Mm-hmm. Like that will help you to, to sort of break the idea that like this thing they built is infallible. Mm-hmm. Once you just fully understand that they were just like me and you. But it's they so were. right. It, it, but we don't even have the understanding. There's some people who still believe, and I always have to put a disclaimer in yeah. here. I'm a woman of faith. I'm a Jesus believer. But there's still some people who believe that the founders were creating a Christian country. Yeah. And that was far from the truth. A, a, a lot of these folks, you know, they were very clear that they that was not their belief system. They were, let's say, uh, they were agnostic at best. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> hedonistic in in other ways but uh, people should look up like washington's very agnostic relationship with like going to church when he was president and like i think i I, look i may get some details wrong but the person being like george like you come to church you don't always participate the Mm -hmm. way that you should and i think washington's response was basically just like i should just stop coming then (laughs) not that i should participate more i'll just stop showing up right and that and that not lack of knowledge or that twist in the narrative causes people to respond, I think, in some ways that they have today, when yeah. you don't have an actual understanding of who the people are, who, you know, uh, brought the brought the thing together. Right. You're going to it's going to affect the way you think about the right. things that brought together. Yeah. So. But I also want to offset some of what I, I also want to offset this slightly. Right. Because if I'm trying to play this out of my head. I think we should 100% tear them down from this, the, the sort of elevated, deified position we give them. But there's one aspect of what they did that you could say I have what is probably approaching a reverence for, frankly. Mm-hmm. 
I have reverence for their process. Mm-hmm. I th- they that's what they look, were. They were men of Madison, process. They were men they of process. That yeah, yeah. Like there's a story about when Jefferson was ambassador to France and he came back to Monticello and like he bought Madison just like books because there were books that were only available in France because right. like you know there was a printing press but stuff wasn't like easily acquired like shipping books was expensive mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. so he just like they knew Madison was doing this thing and mm-hmm. he just bought Madison just like reading materials mm-hmm. and, yeah. and like like Madison dove deep into the weeds of all sorts of stuff right. that was a really intentional process mm-hmm. Jefferson whatever his problems were and they are legion the, the man was really well read you don't like right. have your own library and start your own university because you are not interested in being I was well just going to bring that point up like, about his yeah exactly, exactly. he was I really well read Washington were... by all accounts was the least well read of the bunch but if you actually go and look at like Washington was really well versed on like Roman yeah, generals. Well educated though, yeah, yeah, they were yeah. all well educated. Yeah, the, the, there was this book called like Plutarch's Lives that reportedly all of them are read. I've looked at Plutarch's Lives; it's like hundreds of I've pages done. of biographies. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like literally like like a thousand pages it's, of just biographies. It's wild. yeah, it's overwhelming. <laughs> overwhelming. It's overwhelming. They read an overwhelming, and they try to synthesize an overwhelming amount of information, and then like pack it in. So like this one little constitution and then like, you know, the the Federalist Papers, basically. I have deep reverence for that process. I think the process by which they designed this is something we should we should 100 percent mimic in our approach to things. So you should tear down the men, tear them down to the level of human, but lift up their process. And right now we've actually flipped it. I know exactly. We don't pay attention to it's really their process, and that's where I have a large appreciation as well. Uh, that's something I carry with me in all aspects of my work: is clean processes, deep dives, really truly understanding the goal yeah. that you're trying to meet. Uh, and these people took the time to go back and study. If you're going to create a government, I mean, duh, it totally makes sense. But nobody was quite doing it that way, and no. and they were relying on you know that's still the era of of divine monarchies, right? So right. you don't have to do that if you're right. descendant of God or right. God chose you. You know, to, to make it like contemporary and relevant for, for people, you know, I look at our last, if you look at like the last two presidential elections we had. So in the last primary, you know, one of the big hits on like Elizabeth Warren, it's like, oh, she has a plan for that. Now, some people said that, with like praise, but a lot of people said that was just like this level of like disdain. disdain. Like that was a bad thing. Oh, she has a plan. Oh, Elizabeth has a plan for that. Well, I I hope so. I mean, <laughs> right. So we're like disdainful of people who plan. She had a plan for like paying for things, and we're like, oh, we look have at her this. We have this imagination. Exactly. <laughs> we have this imagination that if it's the right person, they can just right. make it happen. Right. And and that's the false narrative of leadership. That exactly. if nothing is truly made to happen, you plan things to happen. Right. And so. then in the election before, some of the same stuff was said about Hillary Clinton. Look, there are a lot of problems to have with Hillary Clinton. Like I don't care. I, I'm not here to defend all the Hillary Clintons whatever very many foibles mm-hmm. i will point out she was incredibly well prepared and people who had actually worked with her were like that lady has like binders and tabs and like just that full of just random articles from like 30 years ago that nobody has read and this actually came you know when it came time to vote on the iraq war i think she was one of the only senators at the time mm-hmm. i think she was one of the only ones who had read it though maybe she not, not even she had 
But this problem shows up in the Iraq war because basically none of the senators read the report. Mm-hmm. The intelligence report about like Saddam having weapons of mass destruction, right? Like no one read it. Like they just took the word of those sharing. Yeah. The they like read the, the top. Sum- they read the abstract. Anyone's yeah. ever read a paper? They read like the three or paragraph the abstract. Or whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, hey, give this to some underling. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to read it. You don't have time to read the intelligence report that's sending our country to war? What the kind hell? Important. What are important. you doing? Right. They, they disrespect process. We don't care to hold them to process. And we are openly disdainful of candidates who run as process candidates. We look at them as nerds and we think of them as dorks. And we're like, oh, oh, oh look at you with your stupid papers. Well, I, right. <laughs> hey, newsflash, if, if, if you don't like process candidates, I guess you could just be happy with like Donald Trump. Right. Well, you can just be happy with winging it. <laughs> like, I some people, it's funny you say that because some people are. He's he's going to be yeah. the candidate of, of choice for millions of people for their own reasons. Yeah. But certainly, it, if you want to look at a unit of government that goes beyond a person, you yeah. know, then we have to look at the processes. Right. For, or not just Joe maintaining. Biden, I mean, Biden has the same issues. He's not exactly a yeah. person I would call a planner. You know, I don't think we have, uh, you know, when we talked about this a while ago when yeah. we were running, that I don't think we have had the, the 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 best of the best as far as those who were running. And, and it's mainly because of the way that we uh, go about sizing up candidates, the way yeah. that they apply for the job, the, the quick sound bites and all of that. And to be honest with you, I kind of blame voters for that. It is. I mean, we look, we haven't had a plan. <laughs> this is a totally. The, you get whatever. what you get. Based right. on, I mean, you know, how you call for what you want. And we um, haven't had a planner since probably Nixon mm-hmm. was the last like Nixon was a dork for people who, like people who don't know. Like, that's why like, he was he was in the weeds on stuff mm-hmm. like. But so it's been decades. And yeah, that's on voters. And so, again, like to, to sort of put the put the put the cap on it, like it's worth learning about the areas where Athenian democracy failed. Because as we have these increased calls for more direct democracy, which I get, if we want those, if we want direct democracy, you do have to build in a way to offset the problems of direct democracy because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ancient Athens shows you that. Right. But also, as we move forward in time, I just want people to keep in mind, this is the sort of stuff our framers were processing when they made the choices they made and you have to keep that in mind that they were they knew all the all the stuff i'm talking about they knew this stuff at the time right right they were trying to process this when they did the work they did and i want us to take that approach i want voters to take some sort of approach like that and i love the way that you ended it with the story of the athenian court and why our democracy takes so long is uh, that was a, that particular right. story like that was related, right? right. Was, you know, because that rush to put somebody out or put someone to death, right? Our, our system is supposed to make room for error correction, but then we have a system based on people's personal wealth, and with that, we yes. probably can't answer it. But yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, you know, we're working, we're working it out. Maybe we but can. You know, address they had that. the wealth problem then because. Well, some of what was off uh, the yes. cuff was really like people had paid speechwriters to write their improv speeches for court. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you could also buy speeches with wealth. And mm. then you also had personal. So really, they had the wealth problem and a whole separate problem. Wow. As, well, as at least well. we were able to cut it down a little bit. <laughs> right. We only have one. So, <laughs> you know, progress. Progress. I'll take it. I'll take two, it. <laughs> 2,500 years. We solved like one hey, problem, of course. As yes. long as we got there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. In the year 5,000, we'll have a perfect democracy. Oh, my gosh. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that note... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call the episode on the note of in 2,000 years, we'll have a better thing. So uh, something to look forward to Right. if you freeze yourself in cryo or whatever it is people will be doing. Uh, so on that, I want to encourage everybody to continue the discussion on our social media pages, either on Facebook or Instagram. And like all of our shows here, this podcast is Brought to you in part by Eliad Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and Pointcast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, you can visit our website at pointcast.news or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure you join us next time.